Hey everybody, welcome back to Murder Alphabet Soup. I'm Kira. How's everybody doing out there? Uh, I was actually in Seattle this weekend and I'm still recovering from the amount of food and beer that I consumed, but it was totally worth it. I was actually up there for an arcade game tournament on Sunday with my boyfriend, but we decided to go up a couple of days early and make a weekend out of it. So that was really fun. Got to do some uh, touristy things that I had not yet done in Seattle. Speaking of dates, D is for dating show. And one of my guilty pleasures are reality dating shows. And I'm not even talking about, you know, The Bachelor Bachelorette. Honestly, that's one that I've probably seen the least. Please don't hate me. But I'm actually talking about dating shows of the VH1 caliber from the early or mid-2000s. Having grown up on rock and roll, one of my personal favorites is the Rock of Love series where 20-ish women competed for the love of Poison Band member Brett Michaels. Of course, all the while, fights and other antics would ensue, alliances formed, drinks were thrown, you know, all the things that make for an entertaining reality dating show. Some honorable mentions would be Daisy of Love, starring the runner-up of the Rock of Love 2, Daisy De La Hoya and A Shot of Love with Tila Tequila, if you guys remember those. My boyfriend and I recently binged all three seasons of Rock of Love for a trip down memory lane, and honestly, it's just as good as I remember. As I mentioned, the series spawned spinoffs like Daisy of Love, as well as one that only ended up airing three episodes before it was canceled. The reason it was canceled had everything to do with murder. Megan Hauserman was a contestant on Rock of Love 2, known for being a bitchy backstabber with revealing outfits and whose favorite pastimes include tanning, drinking, and tanning. And don't get me wrong, I love her for it, and I'm pretty sure that she's one of both mine and my boyfriend's favorites of the entire season because she's hilarious and makes for some awesome TV. She ended up finishing fifth on Rock of Love 2 and went on to also be a contestant on Rock of Love Charm School a show where some of the rowdiest contestants from the first two Rock of Love seasons are all brought together in a prep school, where badass rock and roll queen herself, Sharon Osbourne, taught them how to be a rock and roll lady. The last girl standing graduated as charm school queen and also received a prize of $100,000. Megan didn't win this one either, but she did get her own show. This stemmed from a comment that she made on Charm School where she mentioned that her aspiration was to be a top-of-the-line trophy wife. Basically, Megan wanted a millionaire. And in August of 2009, America got to watch her try to make this a reality on her own show called, you guessed it, Megan Wants a Millionaire. Seventeen men, all with a net worth of at least a million dollars, competed for Megan's love. And like a lot of these dating shows, each contestant had a nickname. I will read you some of those now. We had The Punisher, The Pro Wrestler, Big Dog, The Plumber, The Baby, The Southern Gentleman, and The Vodka King. Another contestant was Smooth Operator, his real name being Ryan Jenkins, a Calgary native who owned a construction company and was also a uh, real estate investor, 31 years old at the time of filming. What the show failed to discover during their background checks is that Ryan had a history with violence against women. 
The show wrapped filming. Ryan ended up finishing third on the show, but we only know this through interviews with fellow contestants because once the show started airing, like I said, it only made it through three episodes before it was canceled. Shortly after Ryan was eliminated, he met 28-year-old Jasmine Fiore at a Las Vegas casino at a Hawaiian tropic party in March of 2009. Two days later, on March 18th, the couple got married at the Little White Wedding Chapel on the Las Vegas Strip. Jasmine Fiore was born as Jasmine Lepore in 1981. When she was eight years old, her parents divorced and her mother, Lisa Lepore, raised her in Bonnie Doon, California. Growing up, she liked to ride horses, play football with the boys, and she worked bagging groceries at a local grocery store. A family friend described her as nice, friendly, and well-liked. She said that Jasmine had a sincerity that a lot of people just don't have. As she got older, although she was a bit nervous about it, she left her small hometown to pursue a career in modeling. She went on to book jobs in Las Vegas, working as a swimsuit model, modeling in restaurant ads, and as a body-painted model for events. She later went on to get a license in real estate and started pursuing that as a career. In 2005, she met Travis Heinrich, and sometime in 2006, they were engaged for less than six months before they ended the engagement. But they continued to date on and off for a while and remained close friends even after Jasmine and Ryan met. Jasmine and Ryan wed in 2009, and this was the start to a volatile five-month relationship. It's speculated that one reason they got married so fast is because it would allow Ryan to get a green card and stay in the U.S. After they got married, they would go back and forth between Vegas and Los Angeles where they lived. Lisa Lepore, Jasmine's mom, said that the couple fought a lot and that Ryan was jealous of Jasmine being friends with her ex-boyfriends. She also said that their marriage was annulled in May of 2009, but there aren't really any documents to support this either in Nevada or the county where they lived in California. Ryan's dad, according to one source, said that Jasmine was Ryan's only friend in California and that she would disappear for days at a time and lie to his son about it. Of course, I don't know how much stock you want to put into this statement or Lisa's statement about the marriage being annulled, but it's out there nonetheless. Jasmine had expressed to her best friend, and hopefully I'm saying his name right, David Tonopetian, that Ryan was violent and she didn't really want to be with him anymore. In a later interview, David described Ryan as controlling, jealous, and crazy, and that he was the kind of guy that couldn't really handle rejection. According to court records, in June, they got into a fight where Travis, Jasmine's ex, was also attending and witnessed Ryan punch Jasmine in the arm so hard that it knocked her into a nearby pool. Because of this, Ryan was charged with battery constituting domestic violence, and he was actually supposed to go to a trial for this in December. Jasmine and Ryan reconcile after this shortly before they were going to be traveling to San Diego for a poker tournament. The couple check into the La Berge Hotel in Del Mar on the evening of August 13, 2009. The poker tournament that they were attending was a charity fundraiser for the Karma Foundation at the Del Mar Hilton. After the tournament, the couple is seen leaving the Hilton around 2.30 a.m. the morning of August 14th, and they were later seen at the Ivy Hotel, which is a nightclub in downtown San Diego. At 4.30 a.m., Ryan is seen on surveillance returning to the La Berge Hotel alone, and we don't see Jasmine alive again. But here is where some interesting things happen. I watched the surveillance footage from that night, and there's some weird behavior on there from Ryan. He does return to the hotel alone, but he's running to the door of their room. 
This is probably because on the way back to the hotel, there's evidence to support that they got into a fight in the car. We don't know what started it, but it's speculated that Ryan flew into a jealous rage and just starts assaulting Jasmine. This is supported when police later found the Mercedes-Benz that belonged to Jasmine abandoned in a bank parking lot not far from the penthouse that they shared in L.A. A quote from Sergeant Robert reads, We definitely know there was a struggle between two parties in that vehicle. Because of the swipes and the motions of the blood evidence, the imprints of arms and hands, which was found in the back windshield, the passenger seat, and the back seat of the car. When they get back to the hotel, Ryan realizes that he can't just walk into the hotel with an obviously badly beaten woman, so he decides to take her around to a private entrance on the patio, but realizes it's locked and there's no way to access the room other than the front room door. And there were actually spots of blood and strands of Jasmine's hair found on the back patio to support that she was out there at some point. This brings us back to Ryan running to their room door because he wants to get there to let her in so she doesn't try to maybe run off. At 5.03am, you see Ryan come out of the room again and he's holding the handset from the phone in his room. This suggests that someone, namely Jasmine, was in the room, still alive, and he didn't want her to try to make any phone calls or call the police while he was out of the room. I couldn't find any mention of this, but he also walks out with something in his other hand, and he stops in front of this big decorative armoire that's right outside of the room in the hallway, and he reaches up on top of it, and it looks like he puts something up there before he walks away and out of the frame. The video quality isn't the absolute best, so I can't really say for sure what he was doing there, but I thought this was really weird. He then walks down the hall, out of frame, and returns with a bucket of ice. He's then alone in the room with Jasmine for about an hour and a half. Ryan is then seen carrying clothing out of the room before leaving the hotel alone around 9am. The next day, on August 15th at 7am, a woman's body was found naked, badly beaten, and stuffed inside of a suitcase. That suitcase was then thrown in a dumpster in an alley in Buena Park, California. She had died from strangulation, and get this, her teeth and fingers had been removed in what was thought to be an attempt to prevent the body from being identified. But it wouldn't be for another three days that the body would be identified as Jasmine Fiore by the serial numbers in her breast implants. I didn't even know breast implants had serial numbers, and obviously neither did Ryan, but especially in this case, I'm glad they do. That same day, at 8.55am, Ryan files a missing persons report for Jasmine. And remember, at this point, the police still don't know that Jasmine has been murdered or that the body that they found is hers. He tells police that he last saw her around 8.30pm on the 14th at their home in L.A., He says that after the tournament, they returned home, she dropped him off and left to run errands and just never returned. At 9am on the 16th, the day after Jasmine's body was found, Ryan is seen leaving the couple's penthouse for the last time. Police say he left LA and went to Nevada to pick up his speedboat. He was contacted by police on the 17th and Ryan told them that he was in Utah and was headed to Canada to resolve some immigration issues. On the 18th, when they finally identified Jasmine's body and reported the murder, at this time Ryan calls his dad and tells him that Jasmine has been found murdered. The Whatcom County Sheriff's Department received witness reports of Ryan's black BMW SUV towing a boat towards the Canada-U.S. border. Police later found the BMW SUV and an empty boat trailer at the marina in Blaine, Washington. 
The engine was still warm, and at the time, Ryan was only a person of interest in the investigation. He had not been charged, but Canadian authorities had been alerted to watch for him. U.S. Coast Guard and U.S. Customs and Border Protection confirmed that they had boats patrolling the northwest Washington waters looking for Ryan as early as the 19th. On August 19th, a man matching Ryan's description was seen piloting his boat into the marina at Point Roberts, where Ryan's stepmother lives. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police announced that they believed that Ryan crossed into Canada sometime between August 19th and August 20th. On August 20th, Ryan was charged with Fiore's murder and an arrest warrant was issued. I mentioned earlier that they found Jasmine's car in a bank parking lot. When they found this, there was mud on the tires as well as twigs and brush on the underside. Police think that Ryan drove out to a remote area to discard of some of the removed body parts and maybe clothing. Although they never did find these, there were teeth fragments found in the suitcase that the body was in, but not the car. At about 6 p.m. on August 20th, Ryan arrived in a silver PT cruiser with a young blonde woman at the Thunderbird Motel in Hope, British Columbia, Canada. The car had Alberta license plates. They pulled up beside a dumpster rather than beside the rooms, which the motel manager said was strange to him. Ryan stayed in the car while a young woman paid cash for three nights accommodation. The manager described the woman as attractive, about 25 to 30 years old, and very calm, making small talk while registering. She said that they had been traveling around. The guest in the room next door said the woman stayed for about 20 minutes with Ryan in room two and then left the motel. The woman proved to be Ryan's half-sister, Alina Jenkins. The manager saw Ryan walking outside the motel the next day on August 21st. The manager said that he looked exhausted and was not recognizable from the pictures on television. He said, quote, He'd lost a lot of weight. He wasn't a buff, healthy-looking man. It was kind of freaky, end quote. This is obviously part of the reason that no one reported him in the area. He apparently barely resembled the pictures that were being shown on TV from a time when he was more healthy looking. Police also looked into whether someone helped him evade the police for a while. He certainly had enough money to pay for some help. At 11.30 a.m. on August 23rd, the couple failed to check out. Having noticed that there was really very little activity over the weekend, and it was 11 a.m. and he had still not checked out, the motel manager and his nephew decided to check out the room. Quote, I swung the door open and there he was right in front of me, hanging, Walker said. Ryan was found dead, apparently of suicide. His body was hanging from a clothes rack by a belt. No suicide note was found in the motel, but police did find a one-page suicide note saved on Ryan's computer titled Last Will and Testament, and it was dated August 20th, 2009. Quote, the room when I walked in there, it smelled like death. And to tell you the truth, what I thought when I first saw him was he looked demonic. That's the only way I can describe it. I don't think I'll ever forget it. End quote. On August 27, 2009, investigators found a storage unit full of Ryan's belongings, including a suitcase of clothes in Washington State. Ryan's father, Dan Jenkins, said he was struggling to come to terms with the accusations against his son and believes that he was corrupted by the Hollywood lifestyle. Quote, if my son was guilty, he was crazy. He was not the boy we knew. The boy we knew was not capable of anything remotely close to this act. End quote. 
Jenkins said his son appears to have fallen in with the wrong crowd in Hollywood and that he was seemingly incapable of the violence that he had been accused of committing. It was right around this time in August that Megan Wants a Millionaire began to air on VH1, and once Ryan was charged with the murder, the show was canceled three episodes in. This was done both out of respect for the family, as well as them wanting to distance themselves as far as possible from Ryan, as you might imagine. Even before this, Ryan had a bit of history with violence, but the background researchers for the show claimed that this was an oversight due to an error on the Canadian clerk's part. I found an interview with Megan Hauserman after the events unfolded, and she says that there was never any indication that he was capable of this crime. He was mature, kind, educated, and collected, and he would be the least likely person that she would expect to do something like this. And that is the murder case of Jasmine Fiore. I don't know if I've just been in the dark, but I actually only found this out when looking for more reality shows and wondering why Megan's show had been canceled. My boyfriend did a little Google search and says, oh, it's because apparently one of the contestants killed someone. I was like, you have got to be kidding, but obviously he was not. Don't forget to check out the Murder Alphabet Soup Pod Instagram for photos, and totally feel free to reach out on there. Rate, review, subscribe, all of that good stuff. Thank you for listening, and I will see you here next time.